the latest NFL blockbuster trade. The Kansas City Chiefs are sending Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. This is now the fastest wide receiver duo in NFL history. I think the pressure is ramped up as high as you can put it onto a tongue of our Lord. Why would you sit there and give up this quarterback and that coach with that franchise when they're in a championship game every year to go sit there with a quarterback who can't get the ball to you and do it? My reaction is just like everybody else's. Very unexpected, but great for the Dolphins. ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at ChrisCanty99, at AmberW790. You can also join the conversation on the Canty call-in line. We are asking you, are the Nets the team to beat in the East now, even though they're sitting in the eighth seed currently? But Kyrie is going to be able to play down the stretch for the Brooklyn Nets every single night that they have a game. So join us in that conversation, one eight 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 say espn That is 888-729-3776. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit progressive.com. Before we get to the conversation surrounding now the Miami Dolphins with the addition of Tyreek Hill, we're going to be talking about how much pressure that puts on Tua Tungavaloa. I can't wait to hear Chris Canty's thoughts on the subject, but we want to go ahead and finish this Nets conversation quickly. Tony, he's in Florida. He's got some thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets. Tony, what you got for us? Hey, Amber, how you doing? Listen, first off, um, I remember way back, I'm a little older than most of you, but I remember way back when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came into the league and they said it was too early and he was too young and he would have to grow. And they said the same thing about Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And, you know, John Moran has that it thing, and he believes so much. I think it's, I think, I think the Memphis Grizzlies are a great bet to make the semifinals in the West. Now, I don't know that they're going to beat the Suns because the Suns are a more mature team. But I'll tell you what, I think they are right there with the Suns, and they have they have something that the Nets don't have. And what the Nets don't have is they don't play as a team. When you watch the Nets, Kyrie Irving became becomes very predictable. Like yesterday, if you watch that game, Kyrie Irving, there's only one ball on the court, and Kyrie Irving is a ball hog. And he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he becomes very predictable down the stretch. And when he does that, they started blocking his shot late. So I don't see the Nets going to the finals at all. I think Milwaukee beats them, and I think it's between Memphis, and I think it's Phoenix, and I would not be surprised if Memphis won the West. Tony, I'm, I'm right there with you on both fronts. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, that's the biggest issue with Kyrie Irving missing so much time and being inserted into this lineup at the end of the regular season. All of the supporting cast, all of the role players not necessarily know where they need to fit in, what spots they need to be in when Kyrie is trying to execute or operate the offense. That is a huge question, being able to develop that chemistry on the fly and have it at the level at some of the other teams at the top of the Eastern Conference, that's going to be a big challenge for the Brooklyn Nets. And it's a huge learning curve for not only those role players, but also Steve Nash in terms of developing his rotations and making sure that he's maximizing what Kyrie and KD are bringing to the table. On the other side with the Memphis Grizzlies, listen, Jay Williams from KJM was talking about the Memphis Grizzlies a couple of weeks ago, and he said that this team 
is going to the NBA Finals. That's how confident he is in the Memphis Grizzlies. And I, I listen, Jay Will knows basketball, and so I trust his basketball acumen. And when he makes a statement like that, I'm going to pay attention. And since then, I haven't seen anything to move anybody off of the Memphis Grizzlies being able to compete with anybody in the Western Conference. So Tony was in Florida. Thanks for the call. There was another big story out happening, of course, in Florida in the last 28 hours. This one in Miami for the Miami Dolphins, where now Tua, Chris Canty, he's got the weapons. Now he's got the protection. Now he's got some help in the backfield. I mean, the Miami Dolphins have made moves this offseason. When we were coming into the offseason, we thought they'd be big spenders. They came into the offseason initially with the most salary cap in the entire NFL, and they were kind of slow to really start making any sort of splashy moves. They added some key pieces, Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Cedric Wilson. They did some stuff. Connor Williams, probably an underrated addition to that line. But Teron Armstead and Tyreek Hill within 24 hours of each other. How much pressure now is on Tua Tungavaloa? Oh, there's got to be a ton of pressure on him, Amber. I mean, what's the excuse as to why he can't get it done? They went out and got two big-time free agents in, in Connor Williams and Teron Armstead on the offensive line. That should help to solidify that group, and I'm pretty sure that they're not done on that front either with this being a really deep offensive line draft. And then you go out and you make the move for the fastest guy in the NFL or certainly the fastest guy with the ball in his hands in the National Football League, which is one Tyreek Hill. I, I, I like the addition for Miami. It uh, For all of those people that are saying that it seems a bit redundant, I, I don't understand that. Just because Jalen Waddle can run fast and do a lot of those gadget things doesn't mean you don't want to add another weapon like that to your offense. You got Devontae Parker. I mean, you got Cedric Wilson. You got a lot of pieces that you really should like. And not to forget, Mike Gusecki is still on this team, Amber. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the entire National Football League. So going into 2022, what I want to know is what's the excuse for Tua? Why, Why can't he have success? Why can't he get this team to the playoffs now? What I will say is this, based on what we've seen from him and what we've seen happen in the landscape of the AFC, I would probably rank Tua as the 10th best quarterback in the conference at best. And, you know, I I know there's a lot of high-end talent at the quarterback position, but you need your guy under center to be a force multiplier, and I'm not quite sure that Tua can develop into that guy. So we're going to find out one way or another whether Tua is the future at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And I think that was the point. That was the motivation for Chris Greer in order to get this deal done. When I was on local Miami radio, I always found myself arguing a bit against Tua, saying I haven't seen enough from him the whole time. And then now that I'm on national, I find myself defending Tua a little bit because I feel like that's got to be an uncomfortable so place down. to be, Amber. Amber, that's got to be a really uncomfortable place to be. Y'all are so down on Tua. Everyone seems so down on Tua here. And I think the jury is still out a little bit. Now, I understand there are viable concerns there with his arm strength in the NFL. We haven't seen a ton of it yet. What we have seen is his accuracy. And Tyreek Hill, he was introduced with the Miami Dolphins at his press conference. And he spoke on that exact thing on Tua's accuracy. Tua is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL, man. So just his ball placement, you know, getting us the ball in space, you know, perfect placement, you know, and us just utilizing our speed, you know, um, utilizing our best asset, you know, and that's just being dangerous. 
And Chris, I think that's why they went fast here. You heard Jeff Darlington say on the way in, this is the fastest receiving core in the NFL now. They went fast because then Tua doesn't have to air it out and throw it all the way down the field. Just get it into that man's hands. He's going to fly. No, no doubt about it. But I also think the under the radar moves of getting Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert is important too because being able to have the balance, having a running game is going to make a world of difference. And let's not forget, Mike McDaniel is a disciple of Kyle Shanahan. And what does Shanahan want to do? Run the football. So when you have that vertical speed element in your offense, that's going to create a lot of favorable fronts and coverages, favorable looks in order to be able to run the ball. A lot of defenses are going to be lighting the box. They're not dropping that safety down because they're afraid of Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill taking the top off of the defense. And so I think when you look at the philosophy that they're rolling with in Miami, it should make it really user-friendly for Tua. And I will say this about the offense that Mike McDaniel is going to to incorporate down there in Miami. That is a user-friendly offense. That's off of the Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak tree, a lot of built-in hot reads in their normal route concepts. So at the line of scrimmage, there are going to be easy answers for Tua in terms of knowing where to go with the football and knowing what plays to get to, what plays to check to at the line of scrimmage based on the looks that you're getting from the opposing defense. So this is a make-or-break year as far as I'm concerned with Tua and with the, 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 the cost of doing business going up in the AFC, seeing all the quarterbacks that have come over to the conference, he's absolutely going to have to prove that he's capable of being able to take this team to the playoffs. Otherwise, you're probably talking about the Miami Dolphins being in a hunt for another quarterback in the 2023 draft class, which is supposed to be a really strong quarterback draft class. But, Amber, I got to ask you a question because you're saying that I'm being hard on Tua, and I'm just asking, by calling him the 10th best quarterback in the conference, I don't even know if that's opinion. It feels like that's fact of the matter when you look at what's going on in the AFC. How am I wrong calling him the 10th best quarterback in the conference? I don't know if you're wrong. Oh, okay. But it sounds wrong. I'm not sure it's you are sound, wrong. Oh, it sounds it just wrong, sounds but you don't know wrong, wrong, Chris Canty. <laughs> what I will say about Mike McDaniel's offense alongside Kyle Shanahan is at least they were able to get to NFC championships with a quarterback that I don't think any of us consider generational or elite. So maybe Tua doesn't necessarily need to be that in order, in order for this Miami Dolphins team to have some success. But let's but talk about, about... But think about what Kyle Shanahan did, though, Amber. He did get to the Super Bowl, but realized he couldn't win a Super Bowl with said quarterback, so he traded three first-round picks in order to get a guy he thought could develop into being that guy. Just putting that out Chris, you know how happy Dolphins fans would be to just sniff a Super Bowl? A playoff win, Chris Canty. A playoff win. Coming up next, though, we're going to talk. Dolphins fans are desert thirsty for a playoff win. Desert thirsty. Ain't that the truth? All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about a team that knows a little something about playoff wins. Which team has the best shot of dethroning the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West? That's next. ESPN Radio. Breaking news in the NFL. Just another day for you and I here. Chris Canty, Chris Canty, Amber Wilson here on ESPN Radio. It has been an action-packed week in the NFL offseason, and that trend continues. Former Packers wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling is signing a three-year $30 million deal worth up to 36 mil with the Kansas City 
Chiefs. This according to our own Adam Schefter. And Shefty goes on to say, this is called living right. Valdez Scantling goes from the NFL's reigning MVP, of course, in Aaron Rodgers, to the NFL's former MVP in Patrick Mahomes. So he has had a pretty good NFL career thus far. Here's my question for you, Chris, though. Have the Chiefs done enough now with this addition to shore up the void left by Tyreek Hill? No, and I'm not sure that there was ever going to be one player that was going to replace the production for from Tyreek Hill or what he means to that offense. And what I'm saying as far as that is concerned is when you think about what Tyreek Hill is, the fastest player with the ball in his hands in the National Football League, this is a guy that strikes fear into opposing defenses, so much so, Amber, that he dictates the kind of coverages that those defenses have to play. Most of the time, when you see defenses try to line up against the Kansas City Chiefs, they're in two high safeties. Remember, we made a huge deal of that in the first half of the regular season because it didn't seem like the Kansas City Chiefs had any real answers for it. The offense wasn't patient enough to be able to put together 8, 10, 12 play drives, and they've been known to be a big strike offense, big play offense. And when teams line up in those two high safeties, they force you to take a lot of the throws underneath. Well, when you do that, Travis Kelsey is a huge factor, which we've seen in the Chiefs passing game over the course of the last four or five seasons. A big part of why Kelsey gets those different looks from a coverage standpoint is because Tyreek Hill is lined up on the outside and defenses are terrified of him. But when you eliminate that, when you take Tyreek Hill off the field, now all of a sudden you're talking about defenses playing a lot more single high coverage, a lot more man coverage, and being able to close down some of those windows underneath that Travis Kelsey and others have been the beneficiaries of. So I don't know that MVS is going to come in and basically be that vertical speed element, that threat in that offense. I think this is more of a replace Tyreek Hill going with a wide wide receiver by committee approach. Now, I fully expect that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to use that draft capital that they have in the first round and get a receiver. But when you think about what Tyreek Hill got, $30 million on average annual value, that was just a place that the Kansas City Chiefs couldn't go. So I understand why Kansas City makes the move, um, but I still put all faith and trust in Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. They'll be able to MacGyver this thing and figure it out and, and find a way to have a productive offense, even without the cheetah. Yeah, we spent a lot of time yesterday on this is sort of what happens when you've actually hit on your draft pick at quarterback and then he turns into a generational talent that you have to pay $45 million a year to. And you can't keep everybody, you can't make everybody the highest paid everything at their position, which traditionally the Chiefs were able to do for a period of time. They were not going to be able to do it once Devontae Adams reset that wide receiver market when it came to Tyreek Hill. So they've done what they can to recover since they couldn't pay Hill what he was going to want in an extension. They had to go ahead and move him now to get something in return. Five draft picks is definitely something. And now this move by them to help at least fill a little bit of that void, even though there's no way, even a a first rounder and even this move, like there's just no way that it's going to completely fill that void. But Well, we say say that, Amber, but depending on what receiver you get walking into the door, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a Jamar Chase in this draft, but we could be wrong. I don't think There's a Justin Jefferson in this draft, but we could be wrong. Those are two receivers that came into the NFL and set the world on fire as rookies. So who's to say that Andy Reid and Brett Veach can't identify who that guy would be in this year's draft class and then make a move to get him? 
one thing we know about the Kansas City Chiefs is they hit on their draft picks. That's it. So them armed with five of them from this Dolphins deal is a scary thing. So now with Valdez Scantling as part of this offense, is Kansas City to you still the team to beat in the AFC West? The entire rest of that division has gotten a lot better and arguably the Chiefs have gotten worse. Yeah, Amber, until otherwise notified, it's the Kansas City Chiefs as the favorite in the AFC West. Like, in order to beat the champs, you got to, in order to be the champs, you got to beat the champs. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the Chiefs have won the division, what, six straight years, something mm-hmm. like that? I mean, they own that division. I mean, it's, 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 it's going toward that territory that we saw with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, basically having a division that's under wrap. Now, competition got a lot steeper in the division. And so I think the bigger question to ask, when it comes to Kansas City is, if you're talking about the AFC West, who's the primary challenger for the Kansas City Chiefs? Is it the L.A. Chargers, who got a heck of a lot better? Is it the Denver Broncos, who just brought over Russell Wilson to fill that quarterback void? Or is it the Las Vegas Raiders, who happen to be the other team in the AFC West that made the playoffs last year? I think there are cases to be made for all three of those teams, but if you had to ask me, uh, feet to the fire today, Amber, I would go with Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, primarily because Denver has the pieces on the offensive side. They were missing a quarterback, but it's really about the defense for Denver, what's in place there. And head coach Nathaniel Hackett said he's going to go with a lot of the same schemes and elements that that defense had success with under Vic Fangio. That was a top five defense in terms of yards and a top 10 defense in terms of points. So that's a pretty good outfit. And they got better with Randy Gregory this offseason. And now having Russell Wilson as the trigger man on offense, seems like that team is poised to make a move, to make a run. A lot of people thought the Broncos were quarterback away. And as important as Russell Wilson is, they got their guy. I'm going with a team that wasn't a quarterback away. They didn't need a quarterback. They needed a defense is what they needed in the Los Angeles Chargers. And they got that this offseason with J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack and Joseph Day. And I think those additions to the Chargers will make all the difference. I think that is the most improved team in the AFC West. I think that's the team, frankly, that's coming for the Kansas City Chiefs. But I'll keep the Chiefs like you atop that division until I see otherwise because Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at full stop. That's the end of the sentence. That's the end of the reasons. That's all I need. Baker Mayfield. Will he be a week one starter? We're going to respect it or check it. That's next. This is ESPN radio. ESPN radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Chris Canty 99 at Amber W790. And it is time now to respect it or check it for that. We bring in our producer, Shannon Penn. What's up, Shannon? All right. So essentially, respect it or check it if you do not know. I'm going to give you a hot take. You got to tell me if you're willing to put some respect on that hot take or if you're willing to tell me I'm crazy. Simple enough, right? Simple, Simple enough. All right, well, here we go. Amber, I will start with you with this one. The Memphis Grizzlies will win the West. Are you willing to respect it, or are you going to check it? I'm going to check it. Oh. Because there's one team in the West, and then there's everybody else. And that one team is the Phoenix Suns. It is not the Memphis Grizzlies. So I cannot, for the reasons that we talked about earlier in the show, where the Grizz, they deserve all the respect for this regular season. They are so young. They are so talented. They are so fun to watch. And John Morant is a bona fide superstar. I will give them all of that respect. I'm not giving them a Western Conference championship respect. Not yet. We're not there. This is the Phoenix Suns Conference. 
I'm going to check it too, but I don't appreciate all the air in Amber's chest when she made that check. It made it sound like she was too, too confident in checking the Memphis Grizzlies as a true title contender. I, I don't think it has happened for him this year either, but it's not because of the Phoenix Suns. It really isn't. I mean, the Phoenix Suns, their most important player, not their best player, but their most important player hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy once we got to the postseason for what? four or five straight years now, I'm concerned about the health of Chris Paul. And if you don't have him on the court to be that floor general, to control the tempo, the pace of the game, then I have serious questions about whether or not the Phoenix Suns can actually get it done. So the team I'm rolling with is the team that still somehow, some way has kept this dynastic window open, and that would be one Golden State. I think that's the team that's coming out of the West to go to the NBA Finals. As long as Steph Curry's foot, is going to be healthy, and he'll be available for the playoffs, and Draymond Green can stay healthy, that is going to be the best team in the Western Conference field. So I'm you, rolling with Golden State, and that's the team that I'm going to trust until somebody else knocks him off. You have valid points, but CP3 is on his way back. In fact, he is back tonight against the Denver Nuggets. They have been back, getting Amber? it done without him, though, Amber, Chris can he stay back? That's the question. Can he know. stay healthy like when we get him. into the playoffs? Is it going to be another hamstring situation like what happened in Houston? Is it going to be another hamstring like what happened last? Like, is he going to stay healthy the entire playoff run? That's the question I have. And if you can't answer that definitively, then it's hard for me to trust Phoenix. What's weird is I put myself in this position because I like Memphis a lot and I want to root for them, but I also really like being right. Like, there's nothing more in this world I like more than being right. So now I'm going to end up rooting against Memphis in these playoffs just so I'm right, even though I think that's a really fun team that otherwise I'd be rooting for. Shannon? All right, I know you guys just discussed the AFC West not too long ago, but let's look at the entire conference as a whole. Chris, the Kansas City Chiefs are still the team to beat in the AFC. You going to respect it or you going to check it? No, I got to check that one, man. I got to check it. And as much as I love and respect Andy Reid and what the Kansas City Chiefs got going on, I'm going with the team that should have knocked them off in the playoffs this year. That would be the Buffalo Bills. First of all, the Bills are in the AFC East. So it's a much easier road for Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. The other thing that I like about the Buffalo Bills, it might be the most complete team in the National Football League. They're the only team from a year ago that had a top-five offense and a top-five defense. And guess what? That defense got a whole lot better because they added two-time Super Bowl champ and Super Bowl MVP Von Miller to their pass rush that already features Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, and A.J. Epinesa. And we know they got the guys on the back end, one of the best safety tandems in all of football, not to mention Tredavious White coming back healthy. So I'm rolling with the Buffalo Bills as the favorite in the conference, and I think Vegas agrees with me, so I got to check that take. Chris Canty and I don't always agree, but we agree very much on this one. I absolutely think... It's an uncomfortable place to be, Amber. Uncomfortable place to be agreeing with you. (laughs) It is, right? So I've got to check this too, Shannon. Now, they're the the team to beat, like Chris and I both said, uh, in terms of the division, in terms of the AFC West, but if we're talking about the entire AFC, that is, in fact, the Buffalo Bills. For all the reasons that Chris said, you're talking about the team that going into the season last season was the best team in that conference. They absolutely should have won that conference. And then they didn't just sit idly by this offseason, but made impactful improvements. Some people would even say have won free agency so far. So absolutely, I'm going to check this one when it comes to Kansas City. Shannon? All right, I'm curious to see where you guys are going to go on this next question. Amber, I will start with you. 
Baker Mayfield will be a week one starter this upcoming season. You're going to respect it or you're going to check it. Oh, man. Uh, I am. Oh, this is rough because I'm just shocked that we're here. So I don't feel good about this take by me, but I'm still going to respect it because I have such a hard time believing he's not going to be a starter. I think the complication with this question is the whole week one portion of this. I do think he's going to be a starter this season. I just don't know when the Browns are going to move him. And I, I, I don't. I mean, does this situation, this latest news with Deshaun affect this situation at all? Again, I cannot imagine that they keep Baker Mayfield on this roster, no matter what happens here with Deshaun Watson. We had the breaking news earlier that he is facing a a 10th criminal complaint against him uh, in a different county in Texas where a grand jury is, is meeting to decide whether they're going to indict Deshaun Watson on a criminal charge for sexual misconduct. But... I think with Baker, he's in a position right now where I guess it's Seattle or a bust. It doesn't seem like anybody else is uh, interested, and the Panthers reportedly are not interested in Baker Mayfield. But will will a quarterback? Will they hang on to him? Will a quarterback go down at some point? Is that going to happen before Week One? I don't feel good about my take, but man, we've seen. I mean, we're not that far removed from Baker playing some good football, so I'm going to respect it. Shannon, I'm going to check it. And the reason why I know Amber doesn't believe in her take and respecting it is because she did take so long. She tried to talk herself into it while we're in the middle of the segment, respect it or check it. But, no, i got to check this, man. And, and it's nothing to do with Baker Mayfield's talent. I think it has everything to do with his attitude and his lack of leadership intangibles. There are a lot of teams that are hesitant to bring that into their locker room when they're trying to develop a culture. They might not have a quarterback that they believe is their long-term answer at the, at the position for the future. But that doesn't necessarily mean they want to turn over the keys to Baker Mayfield, a guy that has been really prickly when it comes to interactions with teammates, coaches, and the front office. So I got to check this. He's not going to be a week one starter. And the week one piece is the hook. It's kind of like betting a team at two and a half versus betting a team at three. Like this is essentially saying Baker Mayfield, is he going to be a week one starter? How do you feel about that? I don't think any team is going to go into a regular season with him as QB1. It's going to be an emergency type of situation that's going to call him into duty. So that's what I think ends up happening eventually. He'll get called into duty by somebody whose starting quarterback goes down. The craziest story in sports would be if Deshaun Watson gets indicted here on this 10th criminal complaint and can't play, gets put on the commissioner's exempt list, and then they decide to have Baker out there playing. for Like, how wild would that be? I have him as QB2 to Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's yes. a situation in yes. Cleveland. Shannon, we got one more. I know we got one more, right? Sorry about that. My headphones came out. All right, quick. One more. It has to be quick, though. Chris, we will start okay. with you. Give me 30 seconds or less. Malik Willis will be the first quarterback off the board in next month's draft. Are you going to respect it or are you going to check it? I'm going to respect it. And here's why, Shannon. You know, Malik Willis had his pro day. Uh, on Tuesday, and it was a situation yesterday where I was down at a conference with all the athletic directors from the high schools around the state of Virginia. Also, Tony Elliott, Virginia head football coach, and Brent Pry, Virginia Tech head football coach, were both at the conference, and all that anybody was talking about was Malik Willis's pro day. That's how good it was. That's how impressive it was. He had the Zach Wilson throw when he's rolling out to his left, throws it back to his right, Unbelievable arm talent. People are going to fall in love with it. He will be the first quarterback off the board. 
I think these things go in trends as we get towards the NFL draft. And Malik Willis's trend has been he's got all the intangibles. He's got the skill set. He's got the big arm. Accuracy is a concern, but he can learn it. He has the versatility. Whereas Kenny Pickett's trend has been he has small hands. So for that reason, <laughs> I'm going to respect it as well. Thanks, Shannon. Small Coming hands up- don't help you street cred. Apparently not when, it, not when it comes to uh, the quarterback position in the NFL. All right, coming up next, is the sideline spat something or nothing for my Miami Heat? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Los Angeles Lakers, Chris Canty, lost to the Philadelphia 76ers last night, 126 to 121. I feel like you and I have talked about the Lakers losing a whole lot this season. So just another day for your Los Angeles Lakers. They're looking at a play-in situation. They've been basically looking at a play-in situation. Are they, Amber? Are they looking at a play-in situation? They're only a half game in front of the Pelicans and two games in front of the Spurs. Are we going to be in the play-in? I don't know. I can't say that confidently. LeBron James was out of the lineup last night with knee soreness. Uh-huh. You think I'm going to have any confidence in this team? Stop. You know what, Amber? I'm starting to think that you and Shannon Penn get a lot of joy out of letting me go off about my Lakers. I know the Lakers suck. Water is wet. What else is new? The only reason that you would watch this team is just to see if LeBron James can win a scoring title at 37 years old in year 19. That's the only reason why the Lakers are relevant. LeBron James said it himself, I'm having a blast playing basketball. Well, it ain't because of your team's record. That's not it. It ain't because you think you can win a championship. That ain't it. The only reason you're enjoying playing basketball is so you can have the narrative that I won a scoring title in 37 years old. I did it later in my career than what Michael Jordan did it. That's that's what I that's what I'm concerned about. That's why I'm having fun. There's the chance for LeBron to do that. That's why he's enjoying basketball because I can promise you he's not having fun playing with Russell Westbrook, who is a freaking turnover machine. Another seven turnovers last night. It's ridiculous. Is it weird that LeBron said he's having the time of his life and then the next game doesn't bother to play basketball? <laughs> I'm well, having, you know, it, I'm it, having it, the time of my life. Well, don't worry, I'm well, over know, here Philly's resting. Well, a pretty good defensive team, so there's a chance he could throw off his average, right? He's averaging 30 points a game. Let's make sure that we keep our average up there and do the bare minimum in terms of jeopardizing winning a scoring title. Russell Westbrook called tonight a must-win, or on Sunday a must-win when they take on the Pelicans. Is it a must-win situation? Is it going to change your mind if they go out there and they whoop the Pels? I will tell you, as a Lakers fan, the thing I'm looking forward to watching most on Sunday that is Lakers-related is winning time on HBO. (laughs) I couldn't care less about my Lakers right now. Really couldn't, because this team is an embarrassment. They don't defend. They don't shoot well. There's really nothing that they do at a high level besides stand around and watch LeBron go off every other night. That's, That's where we're at. I mean, are you surprised that the Lakers lost to the Sixers with Embiid and Harden in the lineup? I'm not. I was expecting that. What I wasn't expecting is to have to talk about it with you guys and to bear my emotions on national radio today. I'm only sad that we made it the three-minute segment instead of one of the longer segments because, frankly, I could have listened to this Chris Canty rant for another 15 you're minutes. You're not a good but teammate. It's you're not a good teammate and it. you're not a good person. ESPN Radio. So my Miami Heat have been sitting atop of the East basically all season long, but is there trouble now a Bruin? 
This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. So there was a spat last night. Not only was last night a horribly ugly loss for the Miami Heat, they lost to a Golden State Warriors team that did not include anybody, including Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. I mean, nobody was out there for the Warriors, and they still lost to them. When they played the 76ers the game before, the 76ers were more like the 74ers. They didn't have their two superstars out there either, and somehow they managed to lose to that team as well. So the Heat have been imploding a little bit here down the stretch, even though they have been pretty dominant sitting atop of the East basically the entire season. And now came a spat Last night on the bench where it looked like the spat was really crisp between Spolstra, Eric Spolstra, the head coach, of course, and Jimmy Butler. Now, UD got involved. UD is like the enforcer and UD got involved. It looked like he was just backing Spo up, but UD goes hard. So it looked like UD and Jimmy then got into it and then Spo walked around. Spo had to be held back from Jimmy. Things got ugly there on that sideline for the Miami Heat amongst their own team. What do you make of that? How much would that concern you if you're a Heat fan? I would say, based on watching it several times, that the real spat was between Jimmy and UD, and Eric Spolster jumped in. He tapped in just to do something in order to get this team going. Because as you mentioned, they had lost four of the last seven games, and it seems like they're going in the wrong direction. And the concerning part about it is you're talking about them losing to teams that they could potentially be facing once they get into the playoffs. When you talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, when you talk about uh, teams like the Suns, who they would play in the finals, or you know all those kind of title content, the Golden State Warriors, title contending teams, those are the teams that they're losing to. And so that's the thing that I would be worried about if I'm a Miami Heat fan. But I also recognize that coaches – will take those opportunities to try to create a scene, to try to create a spark. And I feel like after watching it several times, that's exactly what Eric Spolster was up to because this team hasn't looked like themselves the last couple of weeks. And you mentioned it. There was no excuse for them losing earlier in the week to the Sixers without Embiid and without Harden. They had no business losing to the Golden State Warriors last night. But being able to generate that kind of spark, being able to create that type of tension – when you have a culture as good as what the Miami Heat have under Pat Riley and Spo, I, I think this is going to be one of those things that galvanizes this team. This could be one of those inflection points that we look at and say, this is when the Miami Heat turned it on. This is when they got into playoff form in this particular moment. After struggling down the stretch of the regular season, they had that spat on the sideline. Guys aired out their grievances. Guys holding each other accountable. And now there's an opportunity for them to fix the issues that we've seen come up the last couple of weeks and make sure that those aren't issues once we get to postseason play. The one thing I will say about this Miami Heat team, Amber, more so than any other team around the NBA, the connectedness that they play with. I mean, it's not just about one guy with the Heat. They do it with all five guys on the court, whether it's on the offensive side or on the defensive side, they're all on a string. And I think that's the thing that bodes well for them when we start talking about postseason play. Because a lot of teams are going to rely on their stars in isolation and try and win games that way. The Miami Heat, they do it as a team. Even when they made that run to the finals in the bubble, they did that as a team. That has been the culture that has been in place. So to see that incident on the sideline, I get how some people could be concerned that this team could be imploding or melting down. I look at it as one of those points in your season where everybody takes inventory and then gets the problems that they got to get fixed so they can go on a title run.
people were having a field day on Twitter going after the heat culture thing. And I was thinking maybe they're looking at this wrong. Maybe this is the culture. And I tend to agree with you that I saw Spo that fiery and it seemed almost calculated to me. At, at one point, he even threw a paper or like a clipboard, clipboard. towards he threw a Jimmy. Clipboard down. Yeah, he threw his, that was his clipboard to Jimmy he Butler. Yeah, it was like towards him, but on the, on the court. And I mean, he was making a point, but I think also was making an impact. And by the way, I digress, but hand that man coach of the year already because you yeah. can argue that that team has several all-stars but you could argue that it doesn't have a single superstar and like I said they've been atop the East the entire season here was Spo on what happened in the huddle everybody was wondering where the dinner plans were tonight after the game um it was pretty clear like we have a very competitive gnarly group and we're getting our asses kicked and it's two two straight games uh we were not playing to the level that we wanted to play and I would say Virtually every single person in that huddle was uh, pretty animated about, uh, you know, our our disappointment and how we were playing. You're the former athlete here, Chris. Have you been in a situation where you and one of your coaches had gotten into a spat and were able to get past it? Oh, no doubt about it. I played for Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin and John Harbaugh. So, yeah, I mean, oh, I've gotten into it with all three of those guys. But I think that's what makes them great is that they have that relationship capital built up with their players. So when you have those moments, guys don't take it personal. Guys take it as, okay, this is something that coach is doing because it's going to make me better. It's going to make our team better. And although it doesn't feel great and the scene and the back and forth, the optics of it look all bad, it ultimately turns out to be in the best interest of our team moving forward. So with Eric Spolstra and knowing what he and Pat Riley have put together down there in South Beach, like I don't think that there's any player, including Jimmy Butler, that's going to sit there and say, well, coach didn't have my best interest or didn't have the team's best interest when he went off like that on the sideline. So I don't, I don't think it's a big deal in the sense that it could be the, the you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the point where you're saying, okay, there's the, the crack in the armor. I think this is one of those situations that this is going to galvanize this team. And so I'm excited to see what comes out of it. The one thing that I think is interesting is that they made light of it, but they didn't back off of it. They didn't dismiss it. Um, and that's important because they're acknowledging what happened. There was an issue that they had to get sorted out. And I believe that this team under Eric Spolstra will get that sorted out. So look out for the Miami Heat, man. This could be the moment that we all look back on and say that was the catalyst for a title run. Let's hope so. It needs to be because the 76ers and the Bucks are nipping at their heels in terms of the Eastern Conference standing. So the Heat definitely need to turn things around as we head down the stretch. But again, give Eric Spolstra the coach of the year. It would be his first coach of the year. He has deserved it numerous times. Go ahead and give it to him. Lock it up. Next, we go back to the Nets.